0: welcome to the centuries of sound radio podcast this one is from july 2019 covers the year 1909 and features dave hammond if you want to get hold of these a year earlier and also get full downloads of mixes and a load of other bonus stuff then why not sign up to my patreon at patreon.com slash centuries of sound for just five dollars per month right now my supporters there are listening to the show on 1920 Featuring Janet the Magnus. That's patreon.com/slash Sound. Anyway, here's 1909. Okay. Yeah. On Cambridge 105 Radio. Hello and welcome to Centuries of Sound, the show where we take a deep dive into a year in the history of recorded music. My name is James Errington. I run centuriesofsound.com, where I make the mixes these shows are based on, and today I'm joined by.
1: Dave Hammond of The Smelly Flower Pot on Cambridge 105 Radio. Oh,
0: so uh, tell me something about yourself and your show,
1: Dave. Uh, something about myself? Well, as you've probably gathered, I'm not local.
0: Mm-mm, fair yeah. enough. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not myself <laughs> as well, so.
1: well, well. We'll swap store. I'm from Hull originally, but moved down to this neck of the woods probably about 16 years ago. Okay. And um, first presented the show on Cambridge 105 Radio just over seven years ago. So I've been uh, doing The Smelly Flower Pot. For about seven years and the show is if you if you take john peel as a rough template of just wanting to play new and unfound and unheralded bands
0: okay that's, that's great. pretty
1: much the template that the the show is and i do like to play a lot of local bands as well
0: that's great there's a like, uh, you know john peel it's a good template for all of us something i've kind of tried to follow a bit myself yeah. okay so um this time on centuries of sound we're going back to the year 1909 So uh, what's your expectations of uh, music and uh, other recorded sound in the year 1909, do you think?
1: I have come along without any expectations whatsoever and with an absolute open mind. And this will be fascinating for me because, uh, as I said, I just listen to, generally 90% of the time, listen to brand new music. So it's great for me to delve into something from the past.
0: Just for an overview of what kind of period we're in now, I think um, people would associate the... This time, the time before the First World War, with uh, ragtime, mm-hmm. I think that's a word that kind of crops up a lot. Uh, what's your What's your idea of what ragtime sounds like? Do you think?
1: Right. Well, I've I've got a little bit of experience of rag music mm-hmm. through supporting Hull City football team. Right. Okay. Right. And and the the, the weird thing is. Um, Going back to the 1950s, and I've seen some clips on YouTube of this, and it looks fantastic. But going back to the 1950s, when Hull City were a well supported team, and they used to fill the old Bufry Park up to the rafters, and it was the old stands, the old terraces, mm-hmm. and uh, the players used to come out to um, Les Paul and Mary Ford's Tiger Rag. Okay. And that used to play over the Tanners who were coming out. But as the players were coming out, and that was playing, Used to have all the fans on the terraces doing the old knees up, Mother Brown thing to the Tiger Rag. So yeah, I guess that was my first um, instance of coming across rag music. Mm-hmm. And then I believe uh, Scott Joplin was. Uh... Scott Joplin yeah, is yeah. the most
0: famous guy. I think when we when we uh, hear kind of Scott Joplin rags, we think about um, uh, it's all piano-based music. Yeah. So it's it's you know it's got uh, a melody and a counter melody. That's the kind of uh, way we think about it. Um, which is how a lot of ragtime was, but as far as recorded ragtime, um, generally speaking, it's uh, songs, kind of pop songs or uh, band music, so yeah. like marching bands. That's the two kinds we have really. Yeah. Um, so let's let's have an example of that. This um, this is uh, Eddie Morton, and Eddie Morton was uh, the singing cop, um, because up until nineteen o five, he worked for the Philadelphia Police Department as a policeman. Right. Um, but he he decided to quit that to have a career as a singer he's one of the most famous singers of this time so uh, yeah here he is uh with wild cherries rag
2: Of his boonie coons, a lover of croonie tunes. Jackson was the leader of a big brand band, finest in the land. Understand
3: music, it was grand.
2: While the ball, one night loosened the off, and why the yelled, That was all I might When he started playing some familiar tune, she described with delight. If you love your baby play that tune for me. I'm going crazy, that rags-a-daisy, I just can't make my feelings behave, play that tune again, mighty soon again. When I hear that string whine to cry again Play me that wild cherry rag If you love your babe, Play that tune for me Just because I feel so funny Honey, I don't care for money I'm going crazy That rag's to dizzy I just can't make my feelings behave Play that tune again Mighty soon again Honey, don't you stop School, I'm feeling like a two-year-old When I hear that string whine to cry again Play me that wild cherry rag ¶¶ Wedding chimes, talk of your champagne wine, talk of your scandal time. Mr. Jackson married Miss Lucinda why Gee, he, he did last Sunday night. Oh, you kids, just as the knot was tied, parting and blessed the bride, Jackson's fireside. When the music played that loving wedding march, Miss Lucinda just cried. If you love your baby, that rules for me. I'm going crazy, that rags is easy. I just can't make my field behave. Play that tune again, mighty tune again. Oh, when I hear the scream, whine to cry again, play me that wild cherry rag. If you love your babe, play that tune again. No, I'm not a-blowin', honey. I just feel like goin' somewhere. I'm goin' crazy, that rag's a-dizzy. I just can't make my feelings behave. Play that tune again, mighty tune again. Oh, you seven from eleven, honey, I'm goin' straight to heaven. When I hear the scream, whine the cry again, play me that wild cherry rag. Oh, you finish
0: Right, so that was Wild Cherry's Rag, version of that by uh, Eddie Morton. And uh, it's a song written by, um, well, the, the words were written by Irving Berlin oh, right, okay. as well. Um, so not, uh, not one of your, uh, oh, is it, he's a, a Tim Panelli yeah, writer yeah, yeah. Ra- rather than like a, a proper ragtime writer. Yeah. But at this point... Ragtime is the preserve of kind of Tim Alley. It's gone. It's gone over there now. So right. that's kind of fair enough. So is that a bit different from the ragtime music that you might expect? What do you think?
1: Um, what, probably what I noted from that is it's very playful. You know, it's um, yeah, quite humorous, very playful kind of song. It's not it's not a song to be taken um, too seriously. No, no, um, but incredibly catchy as well.
0: Yeah, I mean that was the that was ideal at timpan Alley. Yeah, just writing these tunes that um the old grey whistle test I think comes from there, doesn't it? That's there? right that kind yeah, of That's idea. right, yeah. Um yeah, I think that's where it comes from. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I I think uh they had all these kind of novelty effects on the, the trombone kind that's of right. uh funny sounds on the trombone and things. That's uh from uh, uh burt Williams. He that was a pioneering singer at this time he had that, that kind of backing behind him and it seems like everyone was trying to copy that yeah at this point yeah um let's hit let's have one more rag this is uh, the american symphony orchestra um sounds like they're going to play classical music <laughs> but um no uh, the orchestra's bands at this time seems to be kind of an interchangeable um kind of thing um when uh, they were first recording uh Four or five musicians, they called it a parlor orchestra because they needed a the new name for that. Right. But we kind of call that a band by this point, even, I'd say. So it's a decent-sized group of people, but maybe just ten or so, right. um, because they are recording into a um, huge... Uh, so if you think of a like Victorola gramophone, gigantic uh, brass horn that's going into a curtain, and then you have various different musicians sitting around the room... The instruments that are louder are, are further away, and the quiet instruments are right next to it. And if you've got some instruments that you need to vary the, vary the uh, level, a singer, for example, you've got them on a wheeled chair, and someone's pushing them backwards and forwards. <laughs> so uh, that, that's the setup where this kind of band are playing. So this is, uh, yeah, American Symphony Orchestra. They're called. So that was the black and white rag. Did that sound familiar at all?
1: It did. And mm. me being of a certain age and watching television in the 1970s. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> Can, do you know but,
0: which which program that was?
1: Well, for those with a black and white TV, the red ball is the one next to the yellow ball. That's yeah, the quote, yeah. It? yeah. <laughs> <black>.
0: <laughs> it's the, the theme to the snooker later on. And um, it was the theme to the snooker in the form performed by Winifred Atwell um, because she's uh, a popular... Uh, uh, a lady who played piano in the fifties, um, so she would release medleys of uh, old tunes on the piano, yeah. And uh, uh, her version of it was used as a theme tune to Pop Black*. <laughs> yeah, so that's was...
1: brilliant. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, I think if I remember right, because you mentioned earlier on before you, before we went on air about Winifred Atwell, and it sort of struck a chord with me, and I seem to remember, and I might be wrong on this, but I seem to remember <laughs> she was um, the first black woman to have a, a hit record in this country or possibly even a number one or something like she that. she had
0: a couple of number ones yeah, yeah in the 50s so it's quite likely i'm thinking who else it would be i can't think of anyone else it would be <laughs> yeah yeah we well, certainly struck mm.
1: record when you mentioned it
0: mm. yeah so uh yeah she's important later on kind of a strange figure we think of the 50s it's like rock and roll yeah and things like that and jazz but there was a lot of other stuff going on at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, of course, the British charts didn't start till fifty-two, so um, lots of records being broken and made at that time. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, all right, let's uh, think about the, the general world of uh, things that were going on in the year 1909. Um, we have uh, flying, lots of flying going on at this point. Yeah. Uh, the Wright Brothers few years earlier had their first plane and now everyone wants to have a go so um flying seems to be kind of the theme of that of the time yeah, um yeah. and lots of kind of five years previously you've got lots of novelty songs about cars and now you've got loads of novelty songs about planes <laughs> right. um so here's, here's one of these it's uh, called uh take me up with you deary and um it do- Is it about a plane <laughs> Have have a listen to the words and what kind of aircraft are they travelling in because I'm really not sure.
4: When sweet Molly Ryan declared That aeroplane riding she did Her sweetheart began to think of a plan Where they could be wed overhead So he said, I will get an airship right away A small one to hold about two smiling with joy she said to her boy you're the captain and i am the crew take me off. far above, and then Molly replies, don't you see, just three letters, D, Q, and D, their meaning is clear, it's too hurry, dear, then he answers, oh, please wait for me. Darling, do and let us go away into a latitude about as dear as anybody that has ever reached the sky. We can sail around the lunar planet making love and hugging every time we can, It with nobody in the airplane except the parts you and I. We could float a little flying boat a little while we rode a little, send it, note a little, subsequent to passing through the clouds and having lots of fun. We'll go up into the sweetest sky of blue, and on ascending, we will figure up a tube, and on returning to old terra firma, we will be as one.
0: So that was called uh, "Take Me Up with You, Deary," and that was a guy called uh, Billy Murray with the Hayden Quartet. Right. Uh, not Bill Murray, Billy Murray, <laughs> uh, very popular singer at this time. Um, so, what did you make of that? I think it's quite odd.
1: <laughs> it is, especially when it goes into that sort of rapid-fire thing at the end. I wish I had the lyric sheet, so I could have understood everything she was saying in that.
0: Uh, I, you it's, know, I, it's almost like a rap, isn't it? It is. It is. It's it's uh, quite a lot to unpack there. I think, I, uh, as I said, I don't know what kind of First, it's an aeroplane, then it's an airship, yeah. and then it can go around the moon. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It doesn't seem like they understand the physics of no. air transport particularly well at this point. But no, you know.
1: there was a mention of three letters as well, but I couldn't quite figure out what those letters were. And yeah, they meant.
0: and I'm not sure if there's any kind of. There are lots of kind of innuendos going on yeah. in these yeah. songs, and you know, yeah, it was a. Uh, it yeah. was the uh, Edwardian era where they were all into the, uh, into that kind of thing. You know, it was the. Summer before the uh, Edwardian summer before the First World War. Right. So, but uh, yeah, I I I don't know what that meant. No. Uh, maybe maybe somebody listening can uh, can tell me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please help. Us <laughs> out. Limited information about that. this song in particular. This is not something that's a lot of information out there about it. um So this is uh, from the USA, and uh, right now the music industry in the USA is all based around New York. It's all. Uh, Tin Panali and Environs, really. Um, so one thing that that's kind of based on is the vaudeville stage. Mm-hmm. And uh, vaudeville is, uh, is good for us because uh, they have uh, uh, comedy as well as just songs. Because in England, there's kind of much more song-based and less stand-up routine-based. So um, I'm going to have a listen to some comedy from this time. And see if it's still funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, of course, the attitudes represented in these songs are, not, when these uh, comedy routines are not necessarily to be, uh, they're not my uh, attitudes necessarily. <laughs> Some slightly outdated things. This is, if you think about what's going on in the USA at this time, yeah. You know, you have to kind of bear that in mind. So, first of all, this is. Uh, this is a guy, he was called Joseph Tunnycliffe Pope, Jr., but he, he recorded as Murray K. Hill. Um, and, uh, yeah, he was a very prolific recording artist, uh, making a lot of these uh, comedy cylinders and records at this point.
5: Well, here I am once more on the rostrum, whatever that means. I was going to take for my subject this evening connubial bliss, whatever that means. I was going to talk on married life, but I'm afraid to, for I married a red-headed woman. Why, actually, my wife Harris the so Red that when she goes in the backyard at night, the chickens take it for a sunrise and the roosters commence to crow. So I'll not talk on married life. But you've all heard that old joke that while it costs $10 to get a dog license, it only costs $2 to get a marriage license. In other words, it costs more to be a dog than it does to be a married man. Well, that's correct. So my advice to the young folks is take a chance and get the marriage license. It's just as good as a dog license, and nine times out of ten, you lead a dog's life anyway. And besides, you save eight dollars. And while you're leading a dog's life, eight bones come in handy. So I'll not talk on married life. But there's one thing that's dear to married life, and that's the children. The children are dear. They keep us broke. But we all love the babies, the rattling, sprattling babies. Some love girl babies, and some love boy babies. I love girl babies, all the way from 18 to 40 years of age. So I'll not talk on married life. But I married my wife in Africa. I was in Africa raising chickens. I did very well raising chickens in Africa. I've raised as many as 25 and 30 chickens in a single night. That is if it was a dark night. But finally she lost her job and I came to the conclusion it's impossible for two married people to be happy together. That is if they're married to each other. So I'll not talk on married life. But when you do get married, stick by anti-race suicide and raise a large family. That is if you have an elevator in a house. But remember... Sufficient up to the evil areas is one baby. And don't as long as you're ever in your right mind pray for twins. Twins are equal to a permanent riot, and there isn't any real difference between triplets and an insurrection.
0: Alright, so there's Mr. Murray K. Hill with a talk on married life.
1: Um He was a cheery chap, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> I think it uh, you know, there's kind of a uh, Bob Hope, Marks Brothers yeah, yeah. comedy routines. I can hear a bit of that in there.
1: Yeah, and I was thinking that even later on. I was thinking he could have been that era's John Cooper Clarke.
0: Yeah, yeah, with the poem. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, kind of uh, droll, uh, kind of delivery there. That's right. On yeah, that.
1: yeah, yeah, and a little bit, um, you know, close to the close to the edge with some of the comments. A little bit un PC. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah.
0: I, <laughs> I think he wasn't really concerned about uh, anything of that light. But you know, I th- it could have been worse. That's what I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> it could have been worse. <laughs> Let's hear something a bit worse. <laughs> this is uh, uh, another another comedian who's got a similar uh, a similar pseudonym. He was not really called Nat M. Wills. If you can have a look, Nat M. Wills online, what he looks like, because he's dressed in his uh, tramp persona, uh, which is uh, quite a sight to behold. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, he he did uh, humorous or satirical musical numbers, including uh, parodies of popular songs.
6: <laughs> Horton started to reduce. She took some stuff called at $5 a bottle. The first five bottles had no effect on her, so she took another, and then they all began to work at once. Inside of two days, she lost 20 pounds, and before the week was out, she could take her waist off over her head without unhooking the collar. She had to cut down all her clothes, and in two weeks, she was wearing one of her old sleeves for a skirt. Then she got scared and went to a doctor. He looked her all over, and to show you how thin she was, the doctor saw a blue and red mark on her arm that looked like a tattoo, and he asked her what that was. Hortense says, that's a tattoo mark. The doctor says, that's a funny little tattoo. It looks like a scratch. Hortense says, I know, but when I'm fat, it spells Ferdinand. She was so thin that every time she closed her hand, she would cut the back of her glove. And when she'd eat an olive, everybody would tell her she was getting stout again. The only thing she could eat that wouldn't show on her was spaghetti. And if she ate two spaghetti, she'd be ashamed to go out. The doctor said the only thing that would cure her was the sea voice. So I got the tickets and we took a boat for Newfoundland. And Hortense began to get better at once. She gained five pounds a day on that boat. So it's a good thing we didn't sail for Australia. That was a great ship. The first day out, I got acquainted with the boatswain. The boatswain has a saint's job. All he has to do is to smoke bad tobacco in a pipe. He fills his pipe every morning, goes down to the sailors' boudoirs, and pipes all hands to breakfast. In the afternoon, he pipes off the gamblers in the smoking room, and every evening when the passengers want to sleep, he pipes them off over the transom. Some sailors brag about being to sea, but a good boatswain gets to see more than any of them. This boatswain knew everything. He told me all about navigation. He said the first thing you had to do was to learn to weigh the anchor. You put the anchor on one side of the scales and a life preserver on the other, and if they balance each other, the ship can sail. After that, the boatswain and I got chummy. And to show how much he thought of me, he took me down and introduced me to the bartender. The bartender had been on that boat for 20 years. I asked him if he'd ever saw a sea serpent. And he said no, but a lot of people who come in here have. Well, sure enough... On my fourth drink, I saw a dozen pink whales, seven alligators, and a whole flock of sea serpents. When I woke up, I was in my berth. I felt an awful shock, and somebody yelled, the ship is sinking. I was all dressed, but I thought the ship might sink, so I put on my rubbers and ran out. Men and women were running around just as they got out of bed. The captain hollered down to the boatswain to fight the crew on deck, but the boatswain says, no, I'll stay down here and fight the girls. I went up to the wireless operator. I knew I was safe up there with him because the vaudeville agents would get him before he could drown. Then the captain ordered all the women in the boats first. One woman wouldn't go. She said the sea was full of sharks. The captain said, that's all right. They're man-eating sharks and they won't touch a woman. When all the women were off, the captain ordered all the sailors to man the pump. You see, a sailor don't wear suspenders or a belt. He always has to hitch up his trousers so a sailor can't pump with both hands without losing something. That's why they always send the women off a sinking vessel first, so the sailors will keep their minds on the pump. The wireless operator showed marvelous presence of mind. He says to me, we'll drink all we can, and that will make less work for the poor boys at the pump. Then he sent a code message to the bartender, the magic letters R-Y-E, followed by P-D-Q. Somebody put the captain onto our scheme, and he said, great. I'll help you. We may be able to drink the vessel dry. So
0: that was Hortense tense at Sea, a kind of rambling monologue by Nat and Wills. Um, yeah, what did you make of that? It was,
1: it took a few little sort of surreal turns there, didn't it? I was yeah, kind of yeah. think, thinking, I know where this is going. Then it would take a little bit of a, an odd turn and you'd mm.
0: leave
1: you a little bit baffled. But it's one of these ones, he just tried to pack as many one-liners, as many... Yeah, one line yeah. jokes into into a minute as possible. I think
0: that was his deal, and yeah. I think of him as being this uh, tramp persona, but he doesn't that doesn't sound like that at all. It Sounds like kind of a wisecracking kind of guy instead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, it's a it, I don't know how to uh, tie those two things together really, but um, yeah, it, it's a it's an odd <laughs> an odd but, thing. Yeah, yeah. All right, um, so let's uh, move on to uh, the uh, popular music band music. This is uh, a guy who called. Uh, Bohemir Krill, uh, who was a popular soloist at this time. Can you guess where he's from from his name? (laughs) <laughs> uh
1: well with a name like Krill I would say from the sea but you
0: know. No. <laughs> uh K R Y L. Right okay. Uh, it's a different spelling than that or slightly different. Um so he's uh, he was from uh what's now the Czech Republic or Czechia but was then uh, the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Right. And uh yes yeah, born near Prague and uh, moved uh, emigrated to the USA at some point. Um and uh, he he various jobs but then he was always uh, playing cornet as well um and uh he played well enough to be hired by Sousa's band who were a big deal at this time um Sousa was a rock star of his day really um he was fired by Sousa in 1898 for copying some of the band's music for his own personal use and uh straight away went into recording um cylinders first of all then records and uh he's quite an amazing soloist um only a only a few years he was doing these kind of solos um, with a backing band, but let's have a listen. Yeah.
1: Cambridge
0: 105 Radio. Okay, that was Mr. Bohemir Krill with Doo Do, it was called. D-U-D-U. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um,
0: so, have you heard music that sounds like that before?
1: No, and I was just thinking, because um, even despite the um, sort of fairly old recording, mm. um, there's a quite a remarkable sort of clarity of tone in his playing.
0: I think just the loudness of it means it cuts through. Right, okay. That's probably okay. what it comes down to. And, you know, they, they had they wouldn't call themselves engineers at this mm. point not for a long time but they they knew how to position it next to the microphone yeah, in the right way which i or guess is a yeah, yeah yeah and later on when they make the first jazz records you can really hear who's done proper engineering work on it and who hasn't yeah. Because it's such a difference in sound yeah 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 and you can really hear that i mean because uh yeah he, he's a soloist on this but um he he would get together a band and they play kind of um uh, czech traditional music and it's quite dull later on right. he, he, he he was a businessman as well he, he kind of knew where his uh, uh bread was buttered that kind of thing so it's a shame he kind of gave up on making this kind yeah. of music soon um but and he was never interested in jazz or never played jazz none of these guys did but um his technique was an influence on um, like Louis Armstrong, Harry James, they, they would listen to his recordings and right. uh, copy when they were learning what to sound like. Very yeah. early days of jazz, so it was kind of influential in that way. Yeah. And he was known as the robber baron of the music field because of his business talent and frugality um if he arrived and he hadn't been paid his full fee he was known to cancel concerts even though the audience was si- were seated already <laughs> so uh interesting character <laughs>
1: yeah yeah it certainly sounds it and as you say it's, i suppose it it still echoes a lot of things what goes on with musicians now you know you've got that um you got that balance between the credibility and and you know wanting to do something that you love doing mm. And then the balance of doing something because you need to earn a wage, you know. It's...
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know why he, I, he didn't make it. Uh, it wasn't financially viable to keep on playing those solos. It's mm. kind of a shame. The side of music that we really don't hear, unfortunately, it's all, all these years of this time, is, you know, it's based around New York. It's based around uh, the record company's idea of what to record, which is... a. Uh, uh, white upper middle class American idea of what's good music, right? So it's it's very limited in the s- the scope of things, and it's a shame because down in the down in New Orleans, you've got the birth of jazz going on right now, and we don't hear any anything about it, <laughs> yeah, because no one thought to go down there and set up a recording studio, which is insane. But it seems insane now, but that it wasn't valued enough to go and do that. Uh, not for another, well, not for another eight years after, the, after right, this. After okay. Anyone bothered recording that stuff. Um, but we do have something a little more interesting now. Um, there's a, well, I'll, I'll give you a bit of background on it first. Um, this is a, a guy called uh, Polk Miller. Polk Miller and the Old South Quartet. And it's called a Watermelon Party. So uh, Polk Miller was a white man. He was the son of a Virginian plantation owner and who had slaves and uh, he learned to play the banjo from his father's slaves and um, he was working as a, a druggist a pharmacist um when the uh, civil war broke out and he uh took time out from that to fight for the south the confederate states of the usa as an artilleryman in the civil war and uh after that after the civil war in the reconstruction era he became a successful businessman and he uh launched the Sargent brand of pet care products, which apparently still survives to this day. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't until the 1890s he began playing music professionally and not until the 1900s he began touring with his uh, old South Quartet. Um, so he's, he's in his 60s at this point.
1: <laughs> and that's when he started his... Yeah, he
0: uh, started performing and touring. Mm-hmm. Um, and his backing group is for black singers And the music is a story, sketches and songs depicting African-American life before the Civil War. Um, So it sounds awful. (laughs) Um, But this isn't a minstrel show. Uh, There wasn't any blackface going on. There wasn't any kind of minstrelry. It was supposed to be as authentic as possible. It was trying to copy what was actually going on 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 the plantation. And uh, they performed to these uh, social clubs, but they also performed to uh, African-American churches around the country. Um, And, I mean, it's not perfect, but this is the closest thing we've got to capturing this music. And, uh, you know, on this evidence, we're missing quite a bit. Um, I should say before I play it, uh, he wasn't just a racist. He was an apologist for slavery. And uh, his stated aim was to vindicate the slaveholding classes against the charges of cruelty and inhumanity to the Negro in the old time so pretty awful guy yeah. <laughs> on that evidence but he's the only it's the only thing we've got that kind of represents this kind of music and it does perpetuate a series of stereotypes about black people and it includes multiple uses of the n-word which I might try to edit out as well yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it does sound as close as we can get to an authentic representation of this time anyway I've talked way too much about this let's, let's have a listen it's uh, Polk Miller and his uh, Old South Quartet with a watermelon party
7: I want a million party, I'll be giving here tonight. Oh, you're talking, Lord, you're coming along with me. Get on your good behavior now and don't you ride no white. Oh, you're talking, Lord, you're coming along with down me. I'll nice, roast, possum down, sandwiches and ham. Some ice cream, apples, and some hummer jam we teeters that, that, some California All oh, And most Everybody Warm in the the night. Night. We're trying to have some chicken drifting on, oh, I ain't around. Oh, you darling, won't you come along with me? And we're trying to have some chocolate made of coffee ground. Oh, you darling, won't you come oh, along with me? Yeah, the cat beats just flip flops the jumpy jacks and pop. Some flip-flops, some ginger snaps, some saffron pop. And little frog legs all stained green and cut the center cup. And when them niggas see them all, they'll die of standing up, every party. Watermelon up, they're oh, going to die. Watermelon fire. Let's Nearly all them watermelons at that party, why be mine. Oh, oh you're, you're talking, talking on, you're coming off with Well, if any watches in that crowd, go steal them away in time. Oh, you doggy, oh, you, doubles, doubles, you come, come along with me. Be quiet dance, them old-time Mississippi flings. Cut them mobile King Cougar and the double pigeon wings. dance Nancy, shoddy-sandy, bazooka and the Alabama dip. Them fools will really have to hold their hatred right up or lose their upper lip. Everybody in Watermelon, Watermelon Night, hurry up and cut a knife, Watermelon fire. Fire. another verse indeed we haven't got the time oh you're talking oh you're coming up why don't you hear the bell ringing them calling me to dine Oh, you darling won't you your come along with me? Yeah, got all them watermelons, that cut his pieces of three. And I'm saving all the sweetest and the biggest pieces for me. And we'll stay away much longer than I can get in the line. And nothing will be left for me but watermillions rides. One million ride, one million rides. and cut
0: so that was the uh that was polk miller and the old south quartet with watermelon party yes <laughs> quite an odd historical artifact yeah i would yeah. say
1: and that's it and that's that's what it's um it's worth is is uh kind of historical document of what things were really genuinely like. Exactly. Um, but the the joy for me in that, if there is any joy to be found in something <laughs> like that, is actually the singing, the sort of gospel-style mm. singing, which is obviously the...
0: Um... Yeah, I mean, there's, there's all these traces of the roots of, of what the blues and jazz that's going to come in uh, ten years' time, yeah. that you can kind of uh, hear hints of in there, Yeah. and uh, it's such kind of uh, difficult to pick out these little bits um, and you know you've got to take what you can unfortunately it's as we're getting into this period it's uh progressing a bit we'll get to this kind of hot ragtime a bit later on where you've got like real like black band leaders um just in a couple of years after this yeah, so yeah. um we're, we're we're on the verge of a breakthrough yeah but we're not quite there um let's go across the atlantic ocean to the uk shall we <laughs> <laughs> uh and have some um uh, what's going on in the UK at this time do you think uh, that we've got uh, musical musical is a big Mm. deal at this point Um, so we're going to have a couple of uh, musical uh, artists Uh, this one I think this song will be familiar to most to many people anyway it's called Boiled Beef and Carrots right
8: I was a nipper, only six months old, oh, my mother and my father too. They didn't know what to wean me on, they were in the dreadful stew. They thought of tripe, they thought of staker, a little bit of old cod row. I said, Bob ran to the old cook shop and I'll tell you what'll make me grow. Boiled beef and carrots, boiled beef and carrots. That's the stuff for your Darby gel. Makes you best and it keeps you well. Don't live like vegetarians on food, they give to parrots. Blow out your kind from morning night on boil i and going when I got married to Matilda Brown, a funny little girl next door. We went to Brighton for the week. We both toddled them once more. My pals all met me in the pub. Said a fellow to me, what's your friend? What did you have for your honeymoon? So just for a long, I said, boiled beef and carrots. Boiled beef and carrots. That's the stuff for your dog and Makes you sure better, he keeps you well. Don't live like vegetarian. So they give the to parents. The wife of mine looks best and fine on board. Beef and Terrence. Now we've got a lodger even on awful cove. I'm very, very queer, he said. We sent for the doctor, he came round and told him to jump in bed. The poor chap said, I do feel bad. Then mother with a deer blind. Said, What would you like for a pink me up? He jumped out of bed and cried. Boil, beef and carrots. Boil beef and carrots. That's the stuff for your dolby gel. Makes you better, he keeps you well. Don't live like vegetarians. Who takes the to parents. Blow out your coat from all your night on boil. Beef and carrots. <laughs> I'm glad to be the father of a lovely pair of nippers and a nice best boys. They're twins, you can't tell which is which, like a pair of saviloids. We had some christened in the week, the father took them on his knee. I said as they've both got ginger hair, I want their names to be. Boiled beef and carrots. Boiled beef and carrots. That's the stuff to your dog poke gel. Make your Broad and he keeps your well. Don't live like vegetarians. Who's a gift of paraps? Gentiles and Yoss. Bring up your kids on boil. beef boiled beef and carrots. Boiled beef and carrots. Boiled beef and carrots. That's the stuff to your dog poke gel. Make your bread and he keeps your well. Don't live like vegetarians. Who's they gift of parents?
0: So, boiled beef and carrots there, a favourite dish of Mr. Harry Champion. <laughs> Yes, yes. Um, do you know the name Harry Champion?
1: Yeah, I'm familiar with the name,
0: but I can't say I'm too familiar with okay.
1: anything other than that particular song. Well, um, you poss- might Possibly be. the only song that I know that's got Cod Rea in the lyrics as well.
0: There's a lot of strange words in there which I'd like to have a look at, actually. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah um, that's the stuff for your Darby Kell. What's a Darby Kell? Uh, uh, I've just had a look. It's old Cockney rhyming slang for belly, Darby Kelly.
1: Right, okay. What
0: is a Darby Kelly?
1: I should be using that one in the future.
0: I've had a look on, uh, on uh, Wiktionary, the uh, online dictionary, and uh, it says Darby Kelly. So Darby Kel is short for Darby Kelly, and then Darby Kelly doesn't have a definition. So maybe if somebody could explain <laughs> what that is. <laughs> um, but yeah, Harry Champion wasn't his real name. It was uh, William Henry Crump. And um I yeah.
1: can understand why he changed
0: it. Indeed. Um as well as bull beef and carrots, he he uh he also recorded I'm Henry the Eighth I Am. Ah, oh, of course. Yeah. And uh, Any Old Iron yeah. and A Little Bit of Cucumber. That's all his songs. And um yeah, he uh he had a bit of time off after this, but he uh, had a comeback in the nineteen thirties and he was really popular again in the nineteen thirties at an right. old age. Right. Um but uh, yeah, it died during the Second World War.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned that's mm. musical, which was was yeah. that effectively the the English version of vaudeville
0: then? Or yeah, from what I understand, um, the, well, I mean, I had, they had a lot of crossover mm. but songs going back and forward. But I think vaudeville was uh, it had a, a stage just for that purpose. But uh, the the rules about what you could do on the stage in England were quite different. Right, you couldn't really you could put it on a play or you could have songs. Um, and they were licensed to have songs performed So they'd just come and do a load of songs um, They couldn't have sketches and things in between I think that's the difference between uh, musical and variety That's oh, right. okay. my uh, understanding of that I might have that wrong but um, Let's have uh, something else on the musical stage um, This is a very interesting one <laughs> It's a, a guy called uh, Billy Williams, and um, yeah, uh, let's have a listen to it and see if you can guess where he's from. Because it's a, it's a difficult one. He's disguised his accent somewhat. <laughs>
3: garden, one fine summer's day. And as little Billy never had more than a farthing, he said, hip, hip, hooray. Then passing the tobacconist where cigarettes were sold, there he beheld some little packets colored green and gold. Billy said, although I'm only six, I'll be a sport. He toddled in the backer shop, and this is what he bought. Five little bags in a dainty little packet, five cigarettes that cost one D, five little panes underneath his jacket, five wobbles in his little Mary, five little whips, five little chips as he lay upon the tramway lines. Wishing he could touch the cable Looking greener than the label Of little Billy's wild woodbine. <laughs> That's a grand song. <laughs> I've smoked many a thousand. <laughs> when Billy puffed the first one, he said, This don't seem a one, but the next might be all right. <laughs> And when he lit the second, he said, Wish I'd bought plum pudding, or else a paper kite. Why, I never thought the world went round, he murmured at the third. But now I've seen it dancing, I can take my teacher's word. Then at the fourth, he fell so bad, he cupped with a frown. Smoke ain't so nice a coming up as when it's going down. So five little fags In a dainty little packet Five cigarettes that cost one bee Five little panes underneath his jacket Five wobbles in his little Mary Five little whips, five little chips As he lay upon the tramway lines Sadly saying close the shutter Willie's dead, but do not utter a word of Billy's wild. Goodbye. <laughs> poor old Bill. <laughs> I say poor old Bill. <laughs> Little Billy Williams, he lay flatter than a flounder. Full of misery. <laughs> Suddenly along the road came P. C. Bins the bounder. What's up here? said he. Then lighting his bullseye, he disclosed the shocking fact that Willie had been smoking right against the latest act. He picked up all the evidence those half-smoked wood lines for and scowled as little Willie said, Please, sir, I've just one more. (laughs) So one cigarette in the dainty little packet one cigarette that top, one bee. One little pain underneath his jacket. One wobble in his little Mary, One little whip. One little chip. As he lay upon the tramway line. The poor kid felt like dying. And the policeman, he was crying.
7: But then Hopper stole his last woodbine
9: for Billy
0: <laughs> So that was uh, Wild Woodbines performed by Billy Williams. A comedy song about a six-year-old boy smoking a packet of cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> So I don't think you would get that these days. <laughs> no 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 not at all. Um, I mean they didn't they weren't aware of the uh, health Absolutely, consequences yeah. of yeah. smoking at that point. I should I should mention that of course. <laughs> um, but it does sound kind of shocking all the same. Yeah so yeah, yeah that's yeah. a thing they're uh, making a joke record about. Um, but yeah that's uh, Billy Williams. Did you guess where he's from?
1: I didn't have a clue. I did notice he's got a really unusual way of rolling his eyes. Yeah, he does. In he does. His lyrics, but I, I didn't. I couldn't pinpoint where he's from originally.
0: So uh, yeah, he's Australian. There's an Australian no. singer who's pretending to put on an English accent to no. go on the musical never got stage. There. I was
1: thinking more regional accents within the UK, so I would never have got as far as Australia.
0: Yeah, it's a, a strange thing. He's kind of constructed for, themsel- for himself there. Mm. Um, so, yeah, he he got popular in Australia and then he came over to the UK and uh, became very popular around this time, This time 1910, 1912. He was in the Royal Command performance. He's one of the big people oh, well. in that which was actually it was on then as well <laughs> that's been on forever apparently and uh yeah but um he uh, overindulged and he died in 1914 in Hove uh age 37 you know you think about the we have musicians out there like there's a new like Paul McCartney album out or whatever and they've been recording for 60 years now it's yeah it's a different world but you you wouldn't have somebody being popular for 30 or 40 years cuz they'd be dead <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> so it's terrible, really.
1: I mean, we do have musicians that die tragically young. But oh, we still do it's because yeah. of, um, you know. I mean, when you think of people like Kurt Cobain, for example. Oh yeah. John yeah. Lennon who had his life taken away at a very young age. You know. Yeah, yeah. Still happens, but not through necessarily the same reasons that they would have done mm. hundred or so years ago.
0: Yeah, and I don't think people had, you know, there's, it's quite often it's not the lifestyle back then; it's just they went for an operation. Or something like that. and, and it just you got Horribly wrong. Yeah. Or, you know, if I mean it was before the years of uh, antibiotics, so yeah. if you got sick, you just got sick really. Yeah. <clears throat> um yeah, terrible anyways. <laughs> <laughs> some horrible things about that. Um let's uh listen to one one final thing from uh the <clears throat> uh from the world of uh musical. Uh this is uh Jack Pleasance and Jack Pleasance um is a northern musical uh, comedian, he's from Bradford, um, but you wouldn't really guess it from his voice. He's kind of he puts on a quite of a, a he puts on a character, which he he was called uh, the bashful limit, the bashful fool, right. um, whose ostensible lack of experience with women could turn out to reveal hidden purpose. So quite a, quite a sinister idea for <laughs> for a musical character. Right. Let's see what you think of him. Very very odd character. <laughs>
10: an employed meeting one night, and I knew what the speaker was saying was right. With no work to do, we are hungry, he said, and our women and children are starving for bread. And I said, hooray. And a stretcher, they took me away. And when I woke up in their hospital bed, they were sticking tin plates in the top of me head. And the doctor exclaimed, why, the poor fellow's dead. And I said, hooray. One day with the missus, I went to the zoo. And just because I said, dear, that monkey's like you, she chased me all round, and for fighting she shaped. But in with the lions, I ran and escaped. And I said, hooray. For safe with the lion's I lay. The wife said, you coward, the lion is she. Made one mighty spring, said the lion, let him be. I married myself, he has my sympathy. And I said, hooray. Now, I've been expecting a family event. And last Monday evening, as homeward I went... A young man came up, and he said with a cough, You'd best hurry up, because I think it's come off. And I said, Hooray! And I ran to the wife all the way. A man said, There's three of them. I said, Oh, Lord. When I got to the house, someone whispered, There's four. Then they showed me the cat in a box full of straw. And I said, Hooray!
0: So that was uh, Jack Pleasance with "I said Hooray." What did you make of that man? He sounds quite sinister, I think.
1: He, he sounds quite sinister. He sounded like the kind of voice that somebody that like Harry Secombe or Peter Sellers or um, yeah, the Spike Milligan might put on as one of their characters. Mm. And it also had a little bit of a uh, anotherworldly, a, a surreal, sinister, as you said, kind of um, sound and and. Content to it as well.
0: Mm. Slightly so little um little nervy, really. Kind of psychotic, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the feeling I have. <laughs> What's this man capable of? I can kind of understand it, but I don't think it's funny. No, no. At no, this point, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't laugh at it. I just kind of find it slightly concerning. That's yeah, all. Yes. Dark, <clears throat> very dark. So I'm not going to play any more comedy. So what do you think has been the, the funniest? From the, the things, I've, I've, there's been quite a lot of comedy stuff for some reason this year. Um, yeah, yeah. I think
1: uh, I wonder why that would be. Was it just a phase we were going through? Nineteen hundred nine. What? Was it? I can't think of. Um...
0: I think there's kind of a lack of. Uh, there's a lack of interesting music, so it's kind of a, I'm playing a lot of novelty records for that reason.
1: All right. Okay. I think okay.
0: We, there's there's been a bit. Let's let's have some interesting music um, instead of just. Uh, uh, Novelty records. That's that's a good point. Okay, this is uh, Charles Draper. He's the grandfather of English clarinetists, not literally. Um, and it's a, a it's called uh, concertino. So I imagine it's a, a a piece put together from other pieces it's when they when they name things like that. It's usually the case. So that was concertino performed by Charles Draper a a uh, British classical clarinetist. Um more showing off on the instruments. Mm. I think it's yeah. uh a a theme of uh music that sounds g- uh, good to my ear from this era really.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean that struck me as somebody as, as something that sounds like it's a, a very seriously good musician who's mm. just trying to be a little bit um um not not playful, just trying to do something a little bit different, but maybe not quite achieving what he wants to achieve,
0: possibly, yeah, I think he's just putting together a lot of uh, show pieces it's kind of it's called it concertino, which is like a little concert, so hmm. I think he's just picked out the best bits Because he he's got one chance to record a, a cylinder, so he's just doing his party pieces, yeah, yeah yeah um which is it's it's nice to hear it i think it it's good later on when they manage to get those things uh put together where it sounds like it's more of a plan. It's, it, right now, it seems like it's um, lots of interesting dead ends, Yeah, I'd say. That's 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 the Edwardian era. Lots of very nice dead ends that are not going to lead on to jazz. Um, and was really. that
1: partly because of the, the restrictions that they had in how they could record?
0: I'd say so. I think it's the kind of stranglehold of uh, the music industry as it was, there's very few labels. Right. And um they're they're going uh they they're just recording what they want to, what they the bosses of the company who uh they've got very conservative tastes and they're deciding what's recorded and it's it's not going to be anything um well, well at least we've got those kind of like vaudeville and musical yeah, yeah. things. Yeah. That's that's something they can they can do that that's got like a proven popular popularity, you know? Yeah, yeah. Otherwise <clears throat> Uh, there's a lot of opera (laughs) there's a lot which i'll i think i'll skip on this week but i I usually play one one thing but i'm I'm not gonna bother this time if that's okay Okay. but um that's because that's proper music that's the idea so what do you record proper music what's proper music it's a it's a tenor singing an Mm. aria. you know like that's 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 what that's what you should listen to um although we have uh ethnographers who are going around the world with their recording horns, recording in different places. So uh, our penultimate thing today. This is a banjo instrumental. Uh, the banjo is kind of an interesting thing that goes around the world. I don't know if it's actually a banjo. I think it's an Indian instrument that they're calling a banjo. And uh, as as every uh, virtuoso was called professor at this time, this is Professor Cub with a banjo instrumental Bopali. It's from a, a CD called The Indian Talking Machine on the Sublime Frequencies label. Uh, lots of interesting stuff from India on there. so that was a uh, professor Calcub with a uh, banjo instrumental bopali um, from the year 1909 I can what did just
1: you make imagine, of that? I can just imagine wigging out on stage so that, you know. Yeah. Yeah, flailing around as he's uh, building to a bit of a crescendo. It sounds uh, almost, um, uh, you mentioned Indian music, almost like a sitar as much as a banjo.
0: I think it's quite likely to be a sitar. Mm. I don't think he's going to have a banjo. No, <laughs> no, no. I think someone's just been there and like, oh, that looks a bit like a banjo. I'll yeah. call it a banjo.
1: Yeah, and he had a, quite a manic yeah. rhythm
3: that,
0: yeah, there was a, a rhythm going on underneath it, yeah. and I've been trying to place it. What it sounds like, and I've worked this out just a second ago. It right. sounds like Paul Simon's "The Obvious Child." Yeah, yeah, it's exactly yeah. that same going yeah. on underneath. Um, I'm sure there's no connection. It's just they've come across that same rhythm independently of each other, because <laughs> yeah. uh, that's a uh, South African musicians. That's there is right, yeah. there is a South African Indian connection. now I think about it so. I don't know. Maybe that's a new discovery point, yeah. or something yeah. that's going on there. Yeah. Maybe uh, maybe yeah, they got that sa- re-
1: Certainly yeah. very interesting sounds anyway.
0: Yeah, I love that. Mm. Um and it's 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 good that they were going out around the world recording different things, but I wish they'd had the same standard in the USA so they could have got some of that uh original Deep jazz south. as it was yeah, happening, yeah. you know? Okay. On
1: Cambridge 105
0: Radio. You've been listening to Centuries of Sound on Cambridge 105 Radio. I've been James Errington,
1: and I've been Dave Hammond.
0: And uh, if you want to find out more about Centuries of Sound, you can come along to my website. It's at centuriesofsound.com, and I've got mixes for every year until the year 1920 up there now, um, so you can have listened to all of those, and also mixes for the years uh, 2016 and 2017. You want to hear where the project's heading. If you want to contact me, if you've got any feedback, you can uh, you can email me at james at centuriesofsound dot com. And I'm on uh, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram like everyone else. Uh, What what do you have coming up soon that we can listen to? Okay, so
1: So on December the 30th, I will have my Albums of the Year show. So I'll be choosing my 30 top albums as played on the Smelly Flowerpot and Cambridge 105 over the previous 12 months.
0: So uh, we're going to finish off today with the uh, Edison Concert Band, Um, Edison uh, was the only label recording on cylinders so they have the, the whole market there for, for cylinders really um, so this is the in the hall of the mountain king um, which is a piece of music it's a grieg and it was composed in 1875 as uh, uh incidental music for the uh, ibsen's play Peer Gynt. Um, ah, right, so yes. uh, part of Pig, and um, I'm sure everyone will recognise it when yeah. you hear it. It doesn't sound familiar, uh, but it's a it's a very familiar piece that you'll know from uh, cartoons. I think, um, yeah, you'll, you'll find out in a moment. Um, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you, it's been um, an
1: absolute pleasure. It's been great listening
0: to some of music as well. Okay. Good to hear. And uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, good night. To get hold of these a year earlier and also get full downloads of mixes and a load of other bonus stuff, then why not sign up to my Patreon at patreon.com slash centuriesofsound for just $5 per month. Right now my supporters there are listening to the show on 1920 featuring Janet Magnus. That's patreon.com slash centuries of sound.